Next, the golden days of radio. This is Frank Brzee welcoming you to the golden days of radio. Great moments from radio programs of the past with the world's most famous personalities. Those memorable moments when everyone listened to enjoy the make-believe world of radio. On this program, we are featuring Edgar Bergen and Mortimer Snurd, Fibber McGee and Molly, and another episode with the Bickersons. Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy went on the air in the mid-30s, and they were an instant hit on their Chase and Sanborn Hour. The program featured Don Amici and Dorothy L'Amour with comedian W.C. Fields. The feuds that Charlie McCarthy had with Fields are comedy classics, and from time to time we'll feature these recordings. Edgar Bergen also worked with another wooden-headed character. He never reached the star stature of Charlie, but he was equally as funny. Here's a portion of a Bergen-McCarthy show with Mortimer Snurd. And now, Edgar Bergen with Charlie McCarthy. Up out there, <laughs> bunch of guffawn people. Well, now, Mortimer, uh, doesn't it make you feel good to see all these smiling faces out here? No, I don't know about that. Well, just look at these people. Look at their faces. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the matter? I felt better before I looked. Oh. You know, you seem to be in a very good good mood today. Yeah, you know why? No, why? Well, it's on account of... Because I, I got a job, Mr. Bergen. You haven't? Yeah, yeah, I got a job, yeah. Yeah. You're working? Yeah, oh, sure, yeah. I'm, I'm busier than a cow's tail at fly time, is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, so you finally got a job. Yeah. Lady Luck smiled on you. Mm? I say Lady Luck smiled on you. Oh, she did? Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what it is about me that, that gets the women. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, I always knew you would be a success, Mortimer. In spite of everything, I have always said, you have horse sense. Yeah, yes, sir, yeah. There ain't very many horses that can outthink me. No. <laughs> Now tell me, Mortimer, what kind of a job do you have? Well, it's a sort of a... It's a... Well, you, it's a, you could... Um, well, I could do it myself. I, well, I don't. <laughs> uh, well, it's a... It's kind of a sticker, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, what was it? What kind of a job? Oh, yeah, what kind of a job, yeah. I'm in, uh, I'm in the music business. You're in the music business? Yeah. Well, well. What end? Well, all of me. All of you. <laughs> Both hands, both hands, yeah. But you haven't studied music. Doesn't that make you awfully ignorant on the subject? Well, it helps, yeah. 
Without any specialized training, uh, what can you do in in the music business? Well, you see, I, I work with another fellow. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, it's a team combination that we are. Uh, see, the other fellow, other fellow, he's a musician. Uh-huh. He plays the organ. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I sort of, I'm his assistant. Ah, oh, I see. You work, you're working with an organist. Yeah, yeah. I suppose you get to travel a lot? Oh, yeah, sure, yeah. All the way out to uh, uh, the end of the chain. Is that right? <laughs> Did you say chain? Yeah. Now, just a minute. An organ and a chain? Oh, it's a swell job. Short hours and all the peanuts I can eat. Oh. <laughs> now I know what kind of a job you have. Now, look, Mortimer. Oh, please, Mr. Durgan, I'd rather you call me by my stage name. What's that? Juckle. Uh, Juckle. <laughs> Mortimer, that organ grinder is using you to replace his monkey. Uh? Yes. Now, you'll just have to quit that job. Well, what for? I'm sorry. I got as much right to work as the next monkey. <laughs> <laughs> but for a few peanuts that you work hard for all day, why... Why, Mortimer, you're, you were pooped. You were duped. Well, that louses up my line. Yes, it does. <laughs> well, <yeah>. well. <laughs> Do you want to sit up here? No, no. no. <laughs> you're sort of crowding into my territory now. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, what I'm trying to explain to you is that you have made... You have made the world's biggest fool of yourself. Well, I always say anything worth doing at all is worth doing well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. husband and wife situation comedy program commanded the highest Hooper rating of all programs during a good part of the 40s and 50s. The show was on the air every Tuesday night, and it starred Jim and Marion Jordan as Fibber McGee and Molly. During the late 50s, when the NBC weekend radio program Monitor was in its infancy, Fibber and Molly appeared on the show in brief sketches. This is really a collector's item. Just Jim and Marion sitting at a microphone, recreating the roles of Fibber McGee and Molly. Have you looked out the window yet this morning? Oh, I certainly have, McGee. We must have gotten at least eight or ten inches of snow during the night. It's really something to see, isn't it? Yeah. Hanging from the trees and the bushes like that. Mother Nature has took out her magic paintbrush and turned the whole joint into a lacy fairyland. Yes. And now it's time for you to take out your magic snow shovel and clean off the walk. Oh, Dad, Madam Molly, don't you have any poetry in your soul? 
Why do you always have to think about mundane things? Oh, I'm being practical, McGee. The postman will be along soon, and he won't be able to get up to the house unless you shovel a path for him. I thought snow and sleet and dark and night wasn't supposed to keep them guys from making their appointed rounds. Well, our postman is different. He comes down with heavy chest colds when his feet get wet. Well, be that as it may or may not be or not, I'm not going to go out and shovel with the rest of the peasants. I'm going to figure some way scientific to get that snow off the walks. Now, McGee, I don't want you coming up with another of your harebrained ideas. It just so happens, Mrs. McGee, that this is a subject on which I happen to be an expert. You forget that I spent several weeks working for the Peoria City government as their snow removal specialist. Whenever we had a deep snow, everybody knew I was bound to come up with an idea for getting rid of it. Snowbound McGee, I was known as in them days. Ah, oh, dear. Snowbound McGee, the sage scholar of the slush-scraping school, cited from silvery spires of South Cincinnati to the sinister cities of Central Siberia for my superior snow-shoveling schemes, slaving stubbornly to save snowbound sections, a standard sight on the streets of such cities as Syracuse, Stamford, Savannah, Sheboygan, Sioux City, and South Omaha. That's a very convincing story, McGee. But the snow is still there on the walk, just the way it was before. And I've just thought up the perfect solution for getting rid of it without dirtying my dainty digits on a snow shovel. I'll blow it away. Oh, even you don't have that much hot air. I don't intend doing the job personally. I'm going to use that big window fan we used to cool off the house in the summer. I'll hook it up here in the doorway, and it'll blow the snow right off the walk. You know something? That idea sounds silly enough to work. Why, of course it'll work. The fan's right here behind the closet door. Just give me a hand, and we'll lift it over here at the front. Just be sure there's nobody coming up the front walk when you turn it on. Okay. It could blow them clear across the street. I've been watching for that, and the coast is clear. Now, I'll just open the front door and plug it in, and the back-breaking job will be done in a jiffy. Turn it off, McGee. Turn it off. It's pulling all the snow into the living room. Oh, i got to fight my way through this big drift by the Davenport to get to the plug. <sighs> Heavenly days. You put the fan in the doorway backwards, and now we've got six inches of snow all over everything in the living room. Yeah. I guess I better go get the snow shovel and get busy. Well, at least it'll be warmer to work in here than it would be outside. <laughs> Fibber and Molly were always happy and seemed to get along. But not that other couple, John and Blanche Bickerson. Now, for all who have asked, here once again is Don Amici and Francis Langford as the Bickersons. <laughs> I'm growing old before my time. What time is it? Don't be so funny, John Bickerson. I'm not being funny, Blanche. I'm sleepy. Look at me. I've got crow's feet around my eyes. My forehead's all wrinkled and my chin is sagging. I'm beginning to look like an old witch. It's true, isn't it? I wouldn't say that. Why not, John? I'll be awake for the rest of the night. That it is true. You think I look like an old witch. I didn't say that. But you think it of me. I don't think anything of you. You don't 
think anything of me is right. You don't even know I exist. Well, that's what's the matter with you. Why don't you let me sleep? You know, I have to catch a plane at 7 in the morning. Then why did you come home so late? I told you 50 times my car broke down and I had to push it home. A likely story. Blanche, what do you want me to say? If your car broke down, why didn't you call me? I didn't have a dime. You did, too. I gave you a quarter this morning. <laughs> Who'd you take to dinner tonight? The whole chorus from the Cobra Cabana. <laughs> That's me, boy, Diamond Jim Bickerson. <laughs> Don't you let me sleep, Blanche. Don't you never even thought of calling me. I sat here at one o'clock in the morning worrying myself into a stew. What'd you eat? Stew. <laughs> Put out the lights, Blanche. You sure have the answers, don't you, John? Answers, questions. All I want to do is close my eyes for a couple of hours before I take off. Sure, get up and run away. Fly all over the country. You don't care about me. I'm only going overnight. I'll be back on Sunday. If you cared for me, you wouldn't leave me. I'm not leaving you. I have to fly to Las Vegas on business, and I'll be gone for about 24 hours. Well, why can't you take me with you? Because you don't take a ham sandwich to a banquet. <laughs> What do you mean by that? I don't know. <laughs> Just wish you'd put out the lights and let me sleep. Tell the truth. Aren't you sorry you married me just a little bit? I'm not sorry just a little bit. <laughs> You're sorry a whole lot. I'm not sorry at all. You love me still? I don't know. I never saw you that way. <laughs> Here you go again. It's been like this for the whole eight years of our marriage. Oh, brother. At night, you won't talk because you're too sleepy. In the morning, you swallow your coffee, kick the cat, and go to work. You never want to talk. Mm -hmm. Not to me, anyway. I mean a real conversation, John. Mm -hmm. Do you know you haven't actually spoken to me for three months? I know it. Why is that, John? I didn't want to interrupt you. <laughs> See? And you say I start everything. Can't you say something nice to me once in a while? Must you always dig at me? Blanche, it's three o'clock in the morning. I don't care. I try to be sweet and you won't even be civil. Why did you marry me if you can't stand the sight of me? I can stand the sight of you. But you don't love me? Yes, I do. You don't, you don't, you don't. I tell you, I do. And why don't you say it? I've said it until I'm blue in the face. I've made records in seven different languages. I've got your face embroidered on my underwear. I even offered to stamp out John Loves Blanche with a hot branding iron, didn't I? You wouldn't let me do it, would you? No. Why not? Because it was burning my hip. <laughs> Proof of my love. I'm gonna tell you for the last time, Blanche, no man ever felt about a woman the way I do about you. Honest? Honest. Do you really despise me? You know I do. What? I mean, no. Now, you know, Don, why you deliberately trapped me into that. You stop tormenting me, Blanche. Go ahead, scream at me, and then run out of town. Leave me here to die. What's the matter now? I'm sick. I get fainting spells all the time, and the doctor doesn't know what it is. I know I'll never recover. Oh, don't be silly. You'll recover. You've got a healthy constitution. I have not. You have, too. You had pneumonia, and you got well. You had the flu, and you got well. You had the mumps, and you got well. You've had 60 diseases, and you always got well. I never saw such a healthy woman in all my life. Oh, the unsympathetic. 
Daddy, I'm feeling wretched. It's a good thing we don't have any children. Oh, dear. I can just imagine what kind of a life a poor little child would have in this house. Mm. To have a father who constantly raves and rants, selfish and thoughtless. A man who can't bear the sight of his own child. What are you talking about? Me, sick in bed, and a poor little infant crying in the crib, crying his heart out for a little attention. Blanche! Why don't you feed the baby, John? <laughs> Why don't you stop knocking yourself out? You know, I had to be on my toes when I get to Las Vegas. Do you want me to lose my job? I don't care if you do. Blanche, I beg you, don't make me miss that plane. Why do you have to go? Why doesn't your boss take the plane? My boss is an old man and he's confined to a wheelchair. He's a sexagenarian. <laughs> Imagine, at his age, too. <laughs> Why do you work for such horrible people, John? There's nothing wrong with my boss. Well, I won't sleep a wink all the time you're away. You going on a safe airplane? There's no danger. Just go to sleep and don't worry. Well, get me my sleeping pills from the bathroom. Sleeping pills? <laughs> Why don't you take them before you go to bed? It's almost time to get up. Oh, hurry up and get them before I fall asleep. Who stole my slipper? I packed it away in your satchel. Have you got the key? It hasn't got a lock. I'll have to cut the string. <laughs> Probably at the bottom of the bag. John, I thought you said it was a safe plane. It is safe. Then why are you taking that parachute? What parachute? These are the shorts you gave me for Christmas. Now don't wrinkle them like that. Can't you find your slipper? I got it. One slipper. The only man in the world with one slipper. Oh, stop complaining. How can a man check into a hotel with one slipper? Lots of men have checked into hotels with worse things. <laughs> Get me my sleeping pill. Can't find any sleeping pills. They're on the top shelf in the green bottle. Are these the sleeping pills? Sure they are. I've been taking three a day. I thought they were vitamin capsules. No wonder they didn't pep me up. Put out the lights. Wait a minute. How do you expect me to take a pill? Hmm? Get me a glass of water, John. Oh, nuts. Don't disturb the canary. Okay, okay. Here, here's your water, here. Good night. John? Hmm? This water tastes funny. Did you let it run? No. Why not? The cat was sleeping in the sink and I didn't want to disturb it. Well, where did you get the water? I dipped it out of the goldfish bowl. Oh, don't get hysterical. Water's all right. I took it out of the icebox. Put out the lights and let me sleep. I'd have been asleep hours ago if it wasn't for your snoring. Oh, can I help it if I snore? Yes, you can. Dr. Hersey says you snore because you have a long pedicle and it dangles on your esophagus. Put out the lights. He says he can cure it in his office with a very simple operation. Why don't you let him fix it? I'll go down there when I get back. You say it, but you won't do it. Do it now. What? Go on, get up and let Dr. Hersey pull out your pedicle. Are you out of your mind, Blanche? It's three o'clock in the morning, and I'm not going to let that horse doctor chop on my pedicle. He doesn't chop his I don't care if he shoots it off with a 22. <laughs> Nobody is going to pull out my pedicle. Now, will you please let me close my eyes for five minutes? Bet you'd do it quick enough if Gloria Gooseby asked Dude, you to. Not, don't start with Gloria Gooseby. If you were married to her, she'd scream so loud you'd give up in a hurry. She always screams and I never give up. What? <laughs> I hate the sight of Gloria Gooseby, and I wish her husband Leo would drop dead too. What have you got against Leo? Nothing. I'm so exhausted I don't know what I'm saying. Please, 
Blanche, can't you understand? I gotta be in shape for my trip in the morning. Well, all right. Have you got your plane ticket? No, I didn't have time to pick it up. I'll get it at the airport. What are you gonna do for money? I've got enough. There's plenty in the sugar bowl. There's nothing in the sugar bowl. There is, too. I looked last night. You didn't look tonight. Well, I'm not gonna get up and look. Blanche, you didn't. Didn't I? You couldn't. I mean, you wouldn't take that... You don't really have to make this trip, John, and I was just thinking... The money, Blanche. Yes, well, I have an opportunity to get a sweet little hat. You can wear it with the brim up or you can turn it down. It's $50. Turn it down. Well, I was thinking... Blanche, stop thinking so much. Where is my plane fare? I haven't got it, John. What? Oh, Blanche, don't tell me you spent it on something foolish. No, I gave it to a bookbinder. A bookbinder? What do we need with a bookbinder? Our book is in perfect condition. Not that kind of a bookbinder. This man goes to the racetrack. He's a trout. Trout? <laughs> racetrack? Oh, Blanche, did you bet that money with a bookmaker? I was doing it for you, John. I wanted to make enough money so you could buy me a new fur coat for my birthday. Doing it for me? How can you squander my money like that? I deny myself everything. I've been sewing collars on your old bloomers and worrying for turtlenecks sweaters. I don't even drink my bourbon anymore. I just chew on the cork and hit myself over the head with a bottle. I never spend a penny on myself. You bought a tie pin last week. It wasn't a tie pin. It was a hypodermic needle. I've been sweating my blood. Now you listen to me, Blanche. Things are going to be different around here. From now on, I'm going to spend the money and you can do the working. What? I'm going to blow every penny on myself. <laughs> Buy all the things I've always longed for. New pants with zippers instead of paper clips. <laughs> Real face lotion instead of fly spray. I'm even going to buy three silver faucets for the bathtub. Three faucets? Hot, cold, and bourbon. And if you want to bet on the races, I'll give you something to bet on. You're going to buy me a racehorse. John, you're out of your mind. I can't get you a racehorse. Yes, you can. They sell them at the racetrack. You hear me? All right, I'll go in the morning. You say it, but you won't do it. Do it now. Go on, get up and buy me a horse. I don't care. You've had it coming to you for a long I've time. I've never been so unhappy in all my life. You think I had to meet a man with such an awful disposition? I wish I had known that you were such a terrible, low-down character before I married you. Go on. You knew it, and so did everybody else. <laughs> How any man could have such a savage temper. Believe me, John Bickerson, I'd pack up and go home to my mother if it wasn't for one thing. What's that? My mother packed up and went home to her mother. <laughs> Listen, Blanche, do you think I enjoy sitting up all night fighting like this? Have you ever asked yourself the reason why we argue so much? I can't understand it. Well, just think for a minute. Why is it that an easygoing fella, a guy who would run a mile to avoid a fight, why is it that I turn into a demon every night of my life? You got me, John. That's the reason. <laughs> Good night, Blanche. Good night, John. Well, that wraps up this edition of the Golden Days of Radio. You know, most guys take a lot of pride in their cars. And what guy doesn't take pride in the way his girlfriend looks? The pride with which Americans have served in our armed forces has kept our country free for close to 200 years. The pride you take in your job is part of a long tradition. 
This is Frank Brzee in Hollywood, California, inviting you back next time for more great moments from radio programs of the past. This is the American Forces Radio and Television Service.